God's word is holy and infallible. It is sharper than two, any two-edged sword. And in order to give honor to this one and only true word of life, we'll stand and give heed to God's word as we read the, the Holy Scriptures. Let's stand together, if you're able, as we start reading at Luke three twenty-three. is God's holy and infallible word. When he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of uh, Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Helsi, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Risha, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Nerai, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosam, the son of El- Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Sinimian, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meli, the son of Mina, the son of Mattatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Abinadab, the son of Admin, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of uh, Terah, the son of Nahor, the, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Hebor, the son of Selah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahaliel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Let's pray together. Help us, we ask, O Lord, that you would give us confidence a greater assurance in your holy word, even through this passage of scripture that we have read together. Help us, we pray, to see that unbroken lineage between Adam, the first man of creation, and the second Adam, the blessed Lord of our salvation. Help us, we ask, to receive your holy word. Bless us as we receive it, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. After reading a genealogy like that, you might say to yourself, how is a list like that, a list of names of sons and fathers, how is that going to help me grow in my my walk with Christ? How is that going to help me grow in grace? Well, the reason this is here in the Bible, this list, this genealogy, is the same reason the rest of what is written was given, and the purpose statement or the reason why 
Luke wrote this gospel in the first place is given at the very beginning, at the very first chapter of this holy gospel. Look there at chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as we have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seems fitting for me, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out to you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. The goal of this genealogy is for you to grow in grace, for you to grow in an assurance that you may know the exact truth about the things which you have been taught, that you might grow in, in a greater assurance of what the Holy Word says and what the Gospel teaches. Now, just prior to this genealogy, before this listing of sons and fathers, um, John was preaching and doing a baptism. He was carrying out a baptism for the repentance of the forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ, immediately before this giving of the genealogy, was baptized. The reason Jesus was baptized was not because he had any sin in himself to bear, I mean, for his own sake, but that he was serving as a substitute to take upon the sin of his people, of his sheep, of his elect ones. And he was doing that to satisfy divine justice. That's why Jesus was willing to submit to that baptism. According to the words of Dr. William Hendrickson, the Holy Spirit then descended upon Jesus, qualifying him according to his human nature for the task which was set upon him. And then we have the Father proclaiming his beloved Son. But we'll look a little bit more at that passage in a little while. As we look at today's text, the main focus is that you are to trust Scripture, that there is a, an unbroken lineage from Adam to Christ. That's an important thing, and we'll see that in two main points. The triune, um, the true identity, the true identity of Jesus Christ, that's the first main point, the true identity of Jesus Christ, and secondly, the unbroken line from Adam to Jesus. So let's look at this first main point, the true identity of, of Jesus Christ. Look back again at chapter 3, 23. When he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph. A very important verse in this uh, chapter. Jesus began his ministry at around the age of 30. Um, the scholars um, who write about how long Jesus ministered say that he ministered about three and a half years. So people believe that um, most would agree, most Protestants would agree that Jesus Christ uh, died at about the age of 33 and a half or 33 uh, when he completed his work. In those three and a half years, the Lord Jesus changed the world. In those three and a half years, his teaching changed the world. His sacrificial death, his burial, his ascension, purchased salvation 
for a multitude which no man can number. A very essential three and a half years of ministry on the sake of the Lord Jesus. Now, although his ministry was very brief, it didn't last very long, this was something that was foretold for thousands of years, all, going all the way back to Adam, going all the way back to Moses, who promised a great prophet who would come, all the way back to the prophets and David, who has also served as a prophet in the writing of the Psalms, all foretold of this coming Messiah and his essential work that only lasted three and a half years. But many supposed, they presumed that Jesus Christ was the son of Joseph. And uh, Luke does point out in, in this gospel account, and he has already pointed out in this gospel account, the exact truth requiring um, what we should believe concerning the identity of who Jesus is. And he, he already did this. We'll look back at a couple of passages. Uh, Luke 1, uh, 31. Luke 1, 31. The angel told Mary, You shall name him Jesus. Verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. So then Mary asks and says, well, how can this happen since I'm a virgin? Verse 35, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Now, the reason why we have so many people who wrongly presume that Jesus was the son of Joseph was that Mary treasured these things in her heart and she didn't go around telling everyone what the angel had told her. She kept them to herself. But also we look at the baptism of Jesus, which is just before today's passage. And when Jesus takes upon himself this calling, this obligation as Messiah to bear the sins of, of his elect, the father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So God the Father speaks of Jesus as his beloved Son. But getting a little bit back to uh, the genealogy, in our text, you look at chapter 3, verse 31, in this long uh, listing, it, means, it mentions here that Jesus... Although he was the son of Joseph by a covenantal legal sense, it says he was the son of David, also the son of Jesse, who was the son of Jesse. So Jesus Christ has a lineage legally by the covenant because of this, the headship of Joseph here as, as the head of the household, that he was considered a son of David by that lineage. Now, if you know your New Testament, son of David is a New Testament title for Messiah. When you read that someone calls Jesus Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me, they're saying Messiah, Messiah, Holy Christ of God, have mercy on me. So it's, it's important to note that he's the Son of David. So this covenantal connection between um, David and also mentions here Son of Judah is also mentioned there in Revelation 5.5. So the elder in heaven 
says this concerning Jesus, that he is the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Again, this testimony of the true identity of who Jesus Christ is, son of David, son of God, more so, as more important, is important. Now, who Jesus was as Messiah was proved Furthermore, in his great signs and wonders. So his identity is already established of who he is at the very beginning of this gospel account. But through his signs and wonders, it testifies that he is truly the Son of God. Through him, he cast out demons. Through him, he healed many. He healed the blind. He healed the deaf. He healed the lame. He healed those with seizures. He fed multitudes. He raised the dead. He did many signs and wonders, and that greatest of all signs was that death could not hold him, and he was raised from the dead on that third day, and he ascended into heaven. Which of the prophets ever rose from the dead and ascended into heaven in that, in that fashion? Now, there are many Christians who look at who Jesus is, and they would say this, I believe that Jesus is my Savior. I believe that Jesus died for sinners such as me. But they might struggle at going back and saying that Jesus Christ is a descendant of a real, literal Adam in the book of Genesis. And that leads us to our second main point, the unbroken line from Adam to Jesus. Look at the end of verse 33 to the end of the chapter. Again, this is in a covenantal legal sense with Joseph as his um, legal head or father of the household. Speaking of Jesus, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of uh, Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Heber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Orphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahaliel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. It's important to know that Jesus carries a lineage that goes all the way back Yes, to even a historical Adam. But before we go there, let's work our way back a little bit from the, the prior verses. Verse, uh, we, we, remembered, we already mentioned that he was of the tribe of Judah. He was the lion of the tribe of Judah from uh, Roman, uh, Revelation 5.5. 5. But here it says he's the son of Abraham. As the son of Abraham... You remember the promise was made to Abraham, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 22, 18. Galatians 3 points out that the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, that is Christ. It's important to know that Jesus, in verse 34 of today's text, is considered a son of Abraham. Keep this in mind. 
on that day of judgment, what will matter most for you is not that you are a son of Abraham by biological blood lineage. What matters is that you are a son of Abraham in a spiritual, vital sense. Having that spiritual link to Abraham. Again, that you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants according to the heir of promise. Those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. Galatians 3.9 Now this genealogy then goes through Joseph, traced all the way back to Adam, the son of God. Verse 38. This is the same Adam who God created from the dust of the earth, and who breathed life into Adam. If you are a candidate for ministry, for gospel ministry in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, if you believe that Adam had any prior ancestors, including ancestors who were not human, I would say any ancestors at all, being that he was the first man, you will not pass, especially in our Presbytery. I don't know any Presbytery in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church that would approve someone for ordination who believes in a prior ancestry of Adam. But i got to give you a little history here. Um, one of the reasons why I didn't pursue schooling or seminary at Westminster Theological Seminary when I was living up in New Jersey at the time and within driving distance of Westminster Theological Seminary was because of a particular professor who was there during the, the years that I was interested in studying seminary. His name was Peter Enns. He was there at the seminary from 2000. He became a, a full professor at 2005, but there was already a, a big stir of what was going on even in the year 2000-2001. He wrote this book entitled Inspiration and Incarnation, Evangelicals and the Problem of the Old Testament in 2005. Now, this book caused a great controversy at the seminary. The, um, some of the staff were divided about this. Some of the board members of the seminary were divided about this. But it ended up getting so much of a, a ruckus that he ended up resigning in 2008. And I want to read you something that he wrote in a later book. And this book, um, well, actually, this is, this is partly concerning one of his good friends, Trimper Longman, who wrote a review of his book. And the book is The Evolution of Adam, What the Bible Does and Does Not Say About Human Origins. And this is a theologian writing this. Recent developments in biology have indicated with impressive evidence that humanity does not go back to a single human couple. Does that mean that the Bible is wrong or that science is wrong? Perhaps, as Peter N. argues, we have been misreading the Bible. Oh, what are we to think? Has someone who's given us a second-hand account of a research paper disproven the Bible? No. Can general revelation, which comes from God Almighty, which is science, disagree with special revelation, which is the holy, infallible, inspired word of God? I would say no. Science and holy scripture cannot truly disagree. Now, in order to examine this issue, you have to look at hard science versus soft science. 
hard science which can be put in a laboratory and can be repeatable, theses can be made and tested and proven, such as what electrical engineers have to learn in order to know how to handle electrical current, like Jonathan does with his job. Those are hard scientists. Without those scientists, we would not have men flying to the moon, being able to send up satellites orbiting the Earth. You wouldn't have any of those things. We should love science, what science does. But soft sciences, which can teach concerning theories of matters that are long ago that cannot be repeated in a lab, because who's going to be able to go back and repeat the creation of mankind? Who's going to be able to go back and find evidence that whether all existence did or did not come from one couple or not? Well, we have a witness who was there. God himself, by through the Holy Spirit, gave us this book and gave us a faithful witness of what happened in the creation account. And I think his account can be trusted far better than someone named Dr. Peter Enns, whether he's a theologian or not. Van Til taught something called presuppositional apologetics. But it's not just apologetics. It's a way that we look at all life. Calvin said the same thing. You have to have biblical spectacles, biblical glasses through which you see the whole world around you. This is the interpretive lens through which you see the world around you. And yes, Van Til even said that we have to even interpret science with the presumption always that Holy Scripture is true. A key verse that needs to be your foundation is found in Romans 3, 4. Let God be found true and every man a liar. How can you trust what this book says about Jesus, the second Adam, if you can't trust what this book says about the first Adam? It also says that Jesus was in the lineage of Methuselah, who lived 969 years, according to Genesis 5. The historical Adam lived 800 years, according to that account as well. I don't suppose, well, I'm not sure if that's true or not. The Bible, the Holy Scripture, is the evidence and lens of what is accurate and true. And yes, there was a historical serpent who spoke to Adam in the garden. All those things really did happen and if you can't believe what this book says about the, the initial foundational chapter or chapters of the Bible in Genesis, how can you believe that he was incarnated through the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin? I think I, I believe it all. Again, Holy Scripture needs to be your foundation. You are to trust that Scripture has an unbroken lineage that traces all the way back to, yes, a historical Adam in a historical Garden of Eden. Scripture tells us about the true identity of who Jesus Christ was. He wasn't, as many suppose, the son of Joseph. He was the son of the Most High who was incarnate in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He was proclaimed by his Father who said, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Again, there's an unbroken line from Adam all the way to Jesus. Covenantally, there had to be a connection between Jesus Christ and Adam. Where Adam failed as our covenant head, Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled the law. 
Where Adam failed in being his, tempted from the devil, Jesus Christ was tempted and yet did not sin. And he laid down his life as a ransom for sinners such as you and I. Let's confess our sins together. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do confess that we are sinners justly deserving your displeasure, but we thank you for the holy gospel that you gave Jesus, your only begotten Son, as that second Adam, as that one who perfectly obeyed your holy word, who died for sinners such as us, and we pray that you would help us to embrace him by faith, not only embrace him for a moment and to speak words of faith or to make a profession, but help us, we pray, to live not for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised for the dead for us, him who bore the awful load for us. Forgive us of our sins of unbelief, and Lord, help us, we pray, to grow more and more in our assurance of your holy word as the absolute truth that you have given unto us. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our concluding hymn, let's, hymn of dedication, let's turn to 378. Look, ye saints, the sight is glorious. Let's stand and sing 378.